Welcome back to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a topic that uh, is is constantly in the political discussion. Um, it's one of the, the major dividing points between the left and the right, but it also is a, a defining characteristic uh, as far as social justice and action goes for the evangelical church as well, and that's the issue of abortion and when life begins and the dignity of human life of an unborn child. And so um, there's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of arguments around this, but we really want to do what we try to do in this podcast, which is let's let's turn to the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say about this issue of what a human is, what a person is, and when life begins. So, Garland, you want to give us some insight here? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a delicate topic, and it's one that I feel like when we when we begin to speak about it, we often do so immediately dug into two political camps. Right. And oftentimes, when I see Christians talking about it, there's not a lot of Bible. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of politics. It's a lot of language, and that's important. And yeah. it's okay that it's okay to have that conversation. But what we want to do is maybe try to bring us back to. Uh, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture mm-hmm. not say? And try to just wrestle through it. And I think another another point to remember is because this tends to be such a political topic, it usually is talking about in the abstract um, and in not recognizing that these are actual people and that we have people in our church, women who've had abortions, um, who are who are struggling with the pain and the shame and the regret and the hurt of that. And so I think it's also important in our tone that we're not just advocating for a certain political view. We're also going to be shepherding people through painful memories and painful pasts, and uh, we want to be aware of that as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really that's really helpful. Um, so what we want to do is we want to look at uh, Scripture and try to figure out what it actually says. And here's, here's maybe the, the thing we have to get clear uh, right off the bat is a lot of our understanding of what it means to be a human. Uh, we are very culturally influenced. And one of the things that we tend to say or tend to think, I think, as Christians is not exactly what the Bible says. We mm. we tend to come to the table with a very kind of Greek, ancient Greek, Platonic view of what a person is. And the Platonic view is something like this. Uh, the The person, the who I am, is this immaterial soul, this thing that floats around that uh, gets brought down into this physical thing called my body. And uh, it they, they, they hover together for a while. And then when I die, my soul kind of floats back up to heaven. And uh, in, in a lot of Greek culture, the body was bad. The body was this almost like this prison that housed my soul and I want to escape it and get back. And so uh, when we adopt that view, when we come to the table with that view, uh, then and then we can kind of talk about this, maybe not in biblical categories. What we want to do is get back to what the scripture says and try to think like the, the biblical authors think, and then we can apply that to this discussion. So just to declare, you said platonic view. Right. Platonic means... So it's coming from Plato, the ancient okay. Greek philosopher, and it's essentially a dualist view that there's the immaterial and the material, and the immaterial, where where the world of like the forms so of beauty and goodness, where mm. that exists, we might say God, that is good and right, and the base material things here in the world are things that are that cause all the problems, and the the problems that arise in life come from these material desires and things here in the earth, and I want to escape that and Got get it. back up to to the world where God exists and where God is. So when people say things like, my body's not really me. Right. That, that, that's reflecting a, a little bit of a, a platonic view. Absolutely. And we're going to argue that actually the body is 
Well, take us there. What, what is yeah, the more well, biblical it, view? We, we got to first start in Genesis, as we frequently do on this podcast. And what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is God creating the universe, and he does so uh, orderly, and he does so uh, with his glory. And ultimately what we're going to see is he does so with this particular creature that he creates, humanity, with their joy and purpose in mind for them. We see at the end of chapter 1 uh, that it says God created mankind, that that word is uh, is. It's ha-adam, which is this word for mankind, and then it, it pluralizes it in the very next line. It's male and female, he created them. And so there's something about humanity that is made in the image of God, and we've reflected on this in another podcast, uh, that we are made to reflect and image back God's goodness and beauty and bring that to bear in the world. And we're blessed, it says, to in that endeavor. God blesses uh, humanity in that. And then in chapter 2, we get, I think, maybe a, a, a more helpful picture of what this looks like. And if you wouldn't mind, read for us uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 5 through 7. Okay, Genesis 2, 5 to 7. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So interestingly, what we see here is there is a material part of humanity. We see that from the dust we are taken, we have a material component. We would call that our body. That's who we are. We are bodies materially. And then this very interesting word, we get it brought into the biblical story right here. It says, God breathes into the man. He, he breathes this breath of God over, the, over, over humanity, and that man becomes a living being. Now, the, the Hebrew word that's translated here is a very important Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word nefesh. 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 Okay. It's where, a fun word to say. Where is nefesh in the sentence? Uh, nefesh is this word, and the man became a nefesh. A living being. So the, the man translated. that was formed out of dust now becomes nefesh. Okay. And this word nefesh is... Uh, it's used over 700 times in our Old Testament. It, it means throat. And so if you think about what your throat is, your throat is everything that you eat, everything that you say, everything that you drink comes in and out through your throat. And it came to mean more than just the throat. So the Bible could talk about nefesh as in my nefesh is dry, like my throat is dry. Okay. The Bible also will talk about the nefesh as being the whole of my being. And maybe the clearest place we see this is in uh, the Shema, this prayer that uh, that was the most important prayer in ancient Israel. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 when God, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, mm-hmm. And with all of your nefesh, that's the word that's being translated here. And what, what's, what it has in mind is your whole being. Okay. And so when it comes to the Old Testament, when we're thinking about what does it mean to be a person, mm-hmm. what is a human being? This is really the key question that is, that is in play in this conversation of abortion is what is a person? Yeah. And what the Old Testament's going to be teaching us, and the New Testament's going to pick right up on this idea, is to be a person is to be an embodied nefesh. Okay. Not separated. It's not as if I have my body, and then there's this soulish thing floating around inside of it, and one day, almost like a ghost in the machine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's not really the picture. Materially, my body is, is... is, is my nefesh, my body and my heart and my decisions and my being, that is it, 
is what it means to be a human, to be an embodied nefesh. They're inseparable. And so that is really important when we come to this question of, uh, of abortion and when does life begin. And uh, there's two primary camps within Christianity that answer this question of when does life begin. And so, so just to kind of um, see if I'm summarizing the idea right so far. So this word nefesh, which usually gets translated soul, right? Um, and we're arguing a platonic view would be you have a soul that is who you really are, and that soul get, is somehow landed in a body, and right. almost might use, even more use the word like possesses a body yeah. for a little while, yeah. something, something like that. And what you're saying here is in Genesis seven, you have formed man from the dust to the ground, material breathe in him the breath of life, and what you get as a result of that body and breath, that total package is the nefesh. Is a person. Is yeah, a that, person. So it soul, makes somebody yes. a person. And that that person, that human being, that embodied nefesh, is the who you are. Yeah. And so that's what's really interesting is the who you are is not this ghost in the machine or this soul that is separate from your body. Right. It is that is the entirety of your being is who you are. And what we're what we're seeing in Genesis 1 and 2 is that humanity is unique in creation. It's unique in that it has this divine task, this divine role to reflect God's glory, to bring his goodness to bear in the world. And when we do that with all of our being, that's what it means to be a person. That comes with amazing dignity. It comes with amazing value. It's why when we see other human beings, we should we should value them and care for them and have a desire to protect them and to serve them because that is a nefesh. That's an embodied nefesh. And as a result, it is made in God's image to reflect his glory. And it's worthy of value and dignity. That's really good. So you said there are two views of what now? What 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 are the two views come in? Yeah. So the question really at, that we're answering here is when does that happen? When does okay. human life begin? That process that we see kind of mechanically described in Genesis two. Right. What? How does that end with humans going forward? When does that begin? And and what we have to begin with is we have to we have to acknowledge that in the ancient Old Testament world and in the New Testament world they don't have. Uh, they don't have machines that can look into the the, the woman's womb. body. They don't have those machines, and so the the de- fully developed understanding of like fetal development it's not there in right. our Old Testament. Now, I think it's helpful. The more mm-hmm. I think we've understood, the the more education we've got. I think actually, the more it's pr- it's kind of bearing out this biblical idea. But theologians and and Bible scholars throughout the centuries have essentially given us two views of when does the human become a human? When does the embodied nefesh occur? Okay? okay. So these two views are these. Here they are. The first one is the creation view. And this is what Christians listening to this, we really have to wrestle here, and we have to do our due diligence with what we think the Bible says and what we think our theology is uh, before we go into this debate and then talk really politically. So the, the first view is called the creation view. And the creation view essentially goes like this. When the 23 chromosomes from mom and the 23 chromosomes from dad come together and form that new zygote, that new material thing. I'm impressed by your biological you like that? Right yeah, now. yeah. You like that? So uh, I'm, I'm, I remember this vaguely from back in school. Uh, but the 23 and 23 come together and they form this new 46 chromosome zygote. That's the material. Mm-hmm. The creation view would say at some point, the immaterial, the nefesh, the who I am is associated with that material. They come together. God is creating, we might say, immediately. He's creating specifically. He's in the process of bringing the who I am, my nefesh, into contact with that 
material thing. God is at work, therefore, every day, every single day when 23 and 23 come together and form a new zygote, God is at work at some point to create a, a who I am, my nefesh, and place it there in the body. So on this view, the reproductive activity of man and woman does not by itself create a nefesh. Correct. God, God, it's like you have the natural physical part happening, and then God personally goes in and gives the spark of life. Correct. Okay. He breathes a new nefesh onto that body. And the the, the Catholic Church holds this view, and uh, many Protestants hold this view. And the, the question for them becomes, when does God do that? When does he do that? And most theologians will place the, the answer of that question, and the Catholic Church has as well, at conception. Got it. So at conception, God begins the process of bringing that nefesh into interaction with that material thing, and now I become a person. So what would be the biblical reason for thinking that's what happens? Uh, the, maybe the clearest would be our Psalm 139. Okay. Uh, and so with, with the Bible, the biblical writer speaks of God forming mm. in the womb. Yep. Uh, the, 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 the character in this case the being knit, David. God knit is together. knitting together this particular person. And the idea in that Psalm is God has had... God has had my good, God is at work in my life from beginning to the end, and the biblical writer places that beginning even in the womb. Got it. And so that would be uh, one of the examples uh, biblically that they'd go. The second view is called the tradition view, and the it comes from this word tradux, which means inheritance. Okay. And so here's how this view goes. So the tradition view would be uh, the 23 and 23 chromosomes come together, and mysteriously... The material comes together, and mysteriously, the immaterial of mom and dad, the soul of mom and the soul of dad, or the nefesh, we might say, of mom and dad, they co-mingle in some way, and at conception, therefore, my material comes together, and a new nefesh is born, is created yeah. with, the, with the material in that moment. So here we go. In the tradition view, I inherit a little bit of the nefesh of mom and a little bit of the nefesh of dad. They come together and create a new nefesh. God is not specifically at work to make it. He's designed the process by which that happens. And in this view, obviously, that's going to take place at conception. And so in this view, God is still involved, but it's more the way he's involved in all of nature. Correct. His sovereign hand guides everything, holds everything together, but he's not like miraculously maybe to use the term putting a soul in each new baby. Right. Mom, the process of mom and dad reproducing produces two humans produce a human, a new nefesh, the total, yeah. total deal. And therefore in both, in both views, so both Christian views, the creation view and the tradition view will answer the question. When does a person become a person at conception? Okay. So it, it is conceivable that a creation view person could say, at first heartbeat, mm-hmm. or some other time. Uh, but with the w- Psalm 139, we're going to have to answer that question somewhere, and it can't be after birth. It right. can't be after this child is born. It's clearly in the Because the biblical writer is giving us some uh, something before that. And okay. so those are the two Christian views as to when does life begin. And and we'll leave it to the listener of this to go and wrestle through. You can you can look these words up. You can Google them. Uh, you can kind of dive into this, this study. But we need to do our due diligence to understand what it is that theologians have tried to wrestle through and where the, what the Bible says, and also to do so not in this Platonic view yeah. uh, or in the naturalistic worldview of our culture around us. Okay, so tell me about, you talk about the Christian view, and you just alluded to the naturalistic worldview. Right. Um, so if, if these two options, we can have an internal debate, but you're saying ultimately the Christian view is in the womb, life, a nefesh is there. A, a nefesh, a person. A person yes. is there. What would be the alternate worldview? 
Well, and this this is something I think we have to we have to be we have to think mm-hmm. Christianly, and then we have to we have to arrest or take the worldview that's around us, and we have to we have to challenge it and do so in ways that I think go back to this this key question of what makes a person a person. That's the key question. A lot of the debate in this has, has talks about Planned Parenthood or it talks about legal things or it talks about legislation, and all that is really important. But ultimately, the question is, what makes a person a person? And the Christian answer to that is, my nefesh is what the who I am. That is, that is me, and that nefesh is more than just the sum of my genetic wiring and instinct. It is, there's something more. And that's designed to reflect God. It's actually a really beautiful thing. It's worthy of dignity. When we consider the worldview of the culture around us, this is the question I think that they have a very hard time answering. And uh, the Enneagram says I'm an eight, and I like to challenge things. And so I I would like to challenge the naturalistic worldview of those around us. Here's what I hear in our culture. We should value humans. We should value uh, those that, we, that disagree with us. We should value the poor. We should value justice. We should value the choice that a woman has with her body even because that woman is somehow dignified. And I would ask the, the naturalist to be somebody committed to the idea that there is no supernatural being, there is no God, and as a result, the natu- most naturalists will answer the question, how did life begin and how did the universe happen with the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago? It's the worldview that, we, that the air we breathe in our culture. That's yeah. what our culture would, would tell us. That's what you get at most secular universities, what you get in school now. Uh, and I would challenge that person. On what basis, on what basis does a human have any dignity? Hmm. And then I, I would subsequently challenge, when does that person become a person? What, after all, is a person? And the ramifications of that question for the committed naturalist would be a human is nothing more than an evolved animal. There's nothing dignified about a human. So they've got, it seems almost like an internal contradiction in the argument. Right. If the argument for abortion is so strongly recognizing the dignity of a woman's body. She has this choice that she gets to make. She has dignity. Yeah. And yet... They can't define that dignity clearly enough to distinguish between the dignity of the adult woman and the dignity of the unborn child or the dignity of an animal. Like, there's not a real solid grounding, it sounds like, for what constitutes a person and what distinguishes one from the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that really is the key question. And so if I were to ask somebody, okay, what makes a person a person? And if they weren't a Christian, they weren't adopting the Christian worldview, then, then maybe they would answer something like this. Uh, uh, it's a physical being that has a heartbeat. Yeah. Okay, well, how does that differentiate from an animal, I might mm-hmm. ask? And then second of all, the heart beats at five weeks in utero. Mm-hmm. So well, that's going to be, okay, so if we don't want to answer that way, what makes a person a person? Well, maybe it's uh, the ability, the capacity for thought. The capacity for abstract thought, the capacity for imagination. Well, we can see brainwave activity in utero very, very early. Dreams occur. Is it the ability to appreciate art? In utero, babies can uh, can interact with music and art and the voice of their mom. And the vo- so as we answer the question, what makes a person a person? The Christian has a solid answer to that question. Yeah. Consistent one, a consistent it's one, internally consistent with itself. Yeah, and and maybe our culture doesn't doesn't love some of the implications of that when it comes to uh, questions of those that are not yet born. But at least there's a consistency. And it also, um, if you define personhood in terms of function, ability right. to work, think at a certain level, 
there's a terrifying other side to that. Absolutely. Which would be anyone with a disability whose cognitive function is below a certain level, mm -hmm. you have to conclude is not a person. Correct. And most aren't willing, most of, of a naturalistic worldview are not willing to follow it to that conclusion. Absolutely. So then they have to make some arbitrary rules around their own system. And what's, I think, maybe beautiful evangelistically is that as Christians, I think this is something we have to offer the world, which is dignity for every human. Absolutely. A really consistent way to say all human life matters. Um, not just definitely in utero and for any human of mm -hmm. any, any cognitive function, any socioeconomic status, all human life matters. So take us to that, like as we're trying to interact with a non-Christian world around this issue, what are some, what are some ways that we can, we can do that uh, in a way that's loving and reflects Christ well? Well, and I think just even as you said that, I, I want to remind myself and remind Christians listening to this, some of our track record of treating other humans uh, well isn't very good. Yeah. And sometimes we, we react really hatefully. We can react with lots of fear, and that causes us to be defensive and mean-spirited. And that would be an example of a Christian not living consistently with their worldview. Yeah. Because we think that those human beings, even ones we disagree with, are made in God's image and are embodied nefeshes and worthy of dignity and respect. And so my, as I like to challenge, let me challenge Christians, that when we speak unlovingly, when we speak with only harshness in our tone, when we disrespect, that's, that's us not being consistent when, with our worldview. Uh, and so just to your question of how we go about this conversation in our culture, uh, my wife, Sarah, worked at a pregnancy crisis center here in our area, and she's been really instructive for me in this conversation. And what she would say is this. She says, uh, I'm not pro-choice and I'm not pro-life. And it kind of, you know, it kind of gets your attention. She goes, I'm pro-education. And her posture has been, the more we learn, the more we see about what is taking place in the, in the womb, mm -hmm. what's taking place in fetal development, the more we see it, the more amazing it is. Yeah. The more it seems to show all the things that would constitute a person, a living person, yeah. even from a naturalistic worldview, are taking place so early on in uh in the womb and she just she just takes that posture if we could help people to understand and to see what's going on then most of the time even a committed naturalist goes okay that's there's more to there's more going on in there that seems to be a person mm -hmm. and it's helped me just to kind of i guess to take the gloves off mm -hmm. and be more compassionate and to help people to speak about it not from a dug-in camp, mm -hmm. but to speak about it as if, hey, let's let's have the conversation about what's going on in there and what a person is and what do you see, and uh, and most people when they see it they go, okay, uh, that that's that's amazing, and uh, it, it actually lines up really clear with what the Bible seems to be saying about God forming this person together in 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 utero. That's good. I, th I love that picture of educator because when I think of when I think of educators, when I think of teachers, um, I think of people who are there to serve those that they're teaching. Um, and I think that posture of just a servant heart and an educator's heart would really would really serve well in the conversation rather than the screaming and the yelling. Um, just the passionate you know, educator and also worshiper that kind of lives in awe of what God does in a human life and informing a human life. And I think that that posture is an attractive one for an unbelieving world. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, Garland, thanks for this. Thanks for guiding us through the scriptures. And I uh, hope this has brought some clarity to this modern question and that we as the church be people who honor the dignity of human life uh, everywhere we meet it. Thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed when human life begins. 
For further study, we recommend looking in Scripture at Genesis 1, 27-28, Genesis 2, and Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. We also recommend the books Body and Soul by J.P. Moreland and Scott Ray and The Doctrine of Humanity by Charles Sherlock. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.